0: Welcome to Subversion with 1517 Fund. I'm your host, Zach Slayback. Subversion is a podcast dedicated to exploring big ideas, pushing against accepted opinion, and just maybe, inciting more creative subversion in society. This week's episode is a conversation with angel investor Greg Shroy. Greg is an investor at Valk Mountain Ventures. And he's also the co-founder of Entopology, a 1517 fund portfolio company. Greg spends most of his time uh, managing his investments now, finding new investments, and working from New York City. He sat down with me at the 1517 fund office in San Francisco recently to discuss a lot of what people get wrong when they talk about angel investors. So this is really the truth about angel investors. If you're someone who you think you might want to raise money someday or you yourself am are intrigued by the idea of doing investment, this is a conversation that you will definitely want to listen to. It's just a fun conversation as well. Before we jump into the conversation, I do want to say that Subversion is brought to you by 1517 Fund. 1517 Fund supports teams led by young founders with grant, pre-seed, and seed stage funding. If you are a hacker, a maker, a scientist uh, of any kind, a young person interested in building your future, you should reach out to us at 1517fund.com forward slash take action. That is 1517fund.com forward slash take action. Because a real education is a liberation. Now, for this week's conversation with Greg Troy. Thanks for being with me today. Of course. And you are, we're in San Francisco, but you are based in New York City.
1: I am based in New York City, but I am semi-nomadic, I feel. I spend a fair amount of time in L.A. My wife is from L.A. So I'm in New York-based, but I spend a lot of time out of my suitcase.
0: Mostly in L.A.?
1: Mostly between L.A. and New York. Here, a fair amount, given that Mm -hmm. I work in tech. And then uh, a fair amount of time in Utah, because I used to ski competitively, and I like Utah.
0: Yeah, but you're from New England, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, did you get started doing skiing growing up in New England? Yeah, so it was. So, I grew
1: up, I was born in New York City, actually. My parents moved to Boston when I was young. And we just started off skiing kind of on the weekends.
0: Like in Vermont?
1: Uh, Maine. We ended up going Maine. to. Well, we started off skiing where we go on a family ski trip out west. My uncle actually had a house in Jackson Hole, and my grandparents started taking us to Switzerland when they retired. And so, we, my brother and I both fell in love with skiing. And my parents decided to go to Maine once. For the... My dad's 40th birthday, actually. And my brother and I just fell in love with skiing. And like we convinced our parents that like we had to go skiing all the time. Which led to us so like actually getting a condo up in Maine. And my brother and I would go... We would go up every weekend. And then we went to a ski academy. So we actually skied afternoons, four days during the week. And then every weekend, we would have competitions. And funny enough, I mean, this is a tech podcast. That's actually how I know Brad... My co founder at Entopology, we actually met competing in skiing growing up. And we kind of followed a similar path. Like we both ended up moving out west. We both ended up back in New York and we sort of stayed friends the entire time.
0: You guys both ended up out west to do skiing. To both do
1: skiing. Like we both, he went to Boulder. I went to school in Denver. I was taking time off in the winters and skiing out of Utah. He stayed in Colorado. He quit skiing a couple years before me and moved back to New York to go to architecture school. Mm. And then we sort of reconnected when I was back in New York. Uh, And we mostly just were friends. And Brad was kind of doing architecture, art, design stuff and started working with 3D printing really early. And ended up writing all these programs to, to build stuff with. And he ended up calling me to ask me, like, basic questions he's like i was his business friend yeah i was like i actually had another company that ended up failing and i was doing sort of some early a little bit of investing and brad kept calling me to help him with budgets and to help him uh like be like this person's like wants to do a deal like what do you think like should we should we should i should i do this project i was like yeah it's cool like how would you structure and so he spent a lot of time on that and i was like i don't know what you're doing but it's very interesting uh I'll I'll help you part time, which pretty quickly became full time. So I, we ended up founding Entopology together. And tell me and, a little bit about that.
0: What, what does Entop, entop yeah, Entopology do?
1: So what we we started off by doing this kind of three D printing consulting, and what we what we realized pretty quickly was that about six months in, so depending on how your timeline, relatively quickly, uh, that what they were interested in was the technology that Brad had actually started developing to 3D print complex shapes for art installations, for clothing, and for other things. And so we decided in our naive selves that it's like, oh, we'll just make a CAD software program and people will buy it. That was not the case. I mean, dealing with aerospace, defense, uh, engineering, medical, like the standard and the quality and the reliability of the software needs to be extreme
0: yeah you're working with like big enterprise clients. big
1: enterprise clients that have that were like something might be going into space it might be going on a rocket <laughs> it might be going on an airplane <laughs> it might be it might be on going on like in someone's body and it's like so they need it to be perfect it can't work 75 percent of the time
0: okay it can't work 98 of the time
1: and then yellow you also have to be not only have to be able to make it you have to be able to document it keep it and repeat it like that's the thing we had no idea about like If you're going to be on it, like, they need to make sure that if you 3D print a bracket that goes on a jet, that it needs to be the same, roughly the same bracket on every single jet. And there needs to be able to prove that, like, it has the same quality as the bracket that you did before. So that led us down to a, a like, really trying to build the software. And that was, we started the company in 2013. We kind of bootstrapped it till... For like two years, so. end of 2013, we started. Mid 14, we realized that that there's a software component to this that that was going to be our future. End of 15, we raised money, our first outside capital from 1517 Root Ventures and I think a couple other, a few other angel investors. That, that was how. That was like basically. I think it was actually Christmas Day. We all signed the doc, The last documents were signed. We then. Then that kind of led to the beginning of the company. I, I actually ended up getting about six months into the company in just, in 2016 after we raised, realizing that the it was way too technical for me. Like, mm-hmm. from whether the sales we were going to engineering units at these large companies, I'm not an engineer. You
0: need sales engineers. You need sales
1: engineers. You need people that can like we were six people talking to some of the largest companies on earth, and like, well, I understood the problem and the solution. Like they were nervous talking to us to begin with, and yet alone some person that doesn't speak their language, that doesn't yeah. really understand the engineering aspect. So, that that kind of like it was obvious I couldn't do sales anymore. And then it was there was a pure sort of like product ops role, and it's like a I like people, I'm outward facing, I like to chat, I like to communicate with people and so like I didn't want to do pure ops and a lot of the product and ops work were super super technical Mm -hmm. math PhDs and other extremely
0: so your own company outgrew you basically
1: outgrew me and like also like there's probably roles I could have done but like it was not where I wanted to be and I had already done some investing and like I always kind of enjoyed that I think I'm too ADD for one thing Mm -hmm. So it became clear that like the best thing for both me and the company was to step back from an active role. I mean, I'm still incredibly close with the company. Brad's still one of my very best friends. I mean, they've subsequently gone on to raise an A and they're doing really well and it's, I can't say enough good things. So that was by mid 2016, I was, I switched to angel investing full-time. And so I did a little bit full-time in like the end of 2013, very novice, very green, like plenty of, I I got really lucky, too, where I got some really good companies pretty early, which was nice. But I also made some mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then, fast forward to 2016, that's been all I've been doing. It's now, what, summer 2018? So, like, two years now. Full-time investing in totality. So, through anthropology, I've done about 30... There's been about 33, 34 investments. Mm -hmm. uh, a, A wide variety from... SaaS companies to a lot of heavy tech stuff to some consumer stuff. So it's really kind of a, a wide ranging portfolio yeah. across many kinds of different industries.
0: Mike and Danielle and I have talked before about the difference between an early stage investment firm like 1517, right? That does pre-seed and seed stage funding and angel investing. Um, there there's a lot of differences uh really especially on the business model side of things for 1517 to succeed in a firm like 1517 to succeed they have to do a different kind of investment than what an angel investor needs to do so for you um where do you find most of the companies that you decide to invest in see i'm not sure i agree with that statement that you just made okay so i think i mean uh, i think
1: angel i think angel investing is a tough thing cuz it's actually I think it's really sort of a catch-all mm-hmm. of a million different kinds of people. So I think like angel investing is really much more of a of a spectrum than a role. I think this is something I've actually asked. It's like someone's like, "How do you pitch angels?" It's like angels are not one group of angels. Right, like right. funds tend to be more uniform than angels. So like on one extreme, you have sort of like the doctors. The I shouldn't say doctors. Like you have the non-professional angels that like, do it occasionally, or they're they're like. That are like real
0: estate professionals, real estate
1: professional doctors, whatever. Like yeah. people that are not professional, that just do it occasionally, they do it for fun. Like they're interested in wildly different things. Like they're going to invest in certain things. And there's other angels that are like very domain specifically. So they're like, they're not angel, they're not focused on angel investments, but they have really good understanding of a certain industries. Like for example, in New York, there's a lot of media and sort of consumer products companies. And like I would say that in the New York ecosystem, does not have the robust angel ecosystem that San Francisco has. I mean, we can talk more about that if you want. But what you do have, but you have these kind of specific industries where there is there is more people with more experience in that specific thing. So they might make a few investments there. And then you have the people like me where I have a little bit less restrictions to the fund for sure, but I operate much more like a venture fund. Okay. Like I'm thinking like, I'm thinking about... So you're, you're,
0: making, you're thinking about making a lot of investments and hoping that there'll be, like, real home run investments.
1: Home run investments. I think there's, like, I'll come back to that in front. So some home run investments, some... Also, like, thinking about a little ownership, how these rounds come together, like, a little bit about stage. Like So I think I operate much more like a fund than I would say, like, an, like what some people might think an angel to be. And I think there's a whole group of angels, like professional angels, that kind of focus along that so like I can move faster than a fund I don't have to do as much diligence I, I I can be I can be a little bit more flexible on ownership percentage but at the same time it's very much like I, I, I almost think of myself as like my first fund instead of this is I'm an angel investor I think that kind of makes sense in terms of of was I going to say?
0: Was something about and for those who are listening who might have missed my previous conversation with Danielle on this topic, you can have angels who, they make 2x on an investment, and that's good for them, because right. maybe they do two investments a year, right? Right. Of like 50k each. Right. But if a venture capital fund makes like 4x on an investment, that's often considered a failed investment. Right. Because you're making many more investments, so you need a larger one to earn back the rest of the portfolio first. And then earn back additional money for profit for the fund,
1: right? So I guess the big difference. That's a good point. Where it's like for us, for an angel, it's we don't have a timeline. So we don't have a we don't have a fund time. So for and, and we can invest as long or as short as we want. So so for us for me like we're still looking for that ten x that a hundred x
0: investment. Like that's and obviously ten x is better than two x,
1: right? Of course, but at the same time, like if we get like 2x is okay because that's another investment that we can make you can take that 2x back and, and invest into another company so as an angel where you're not necessarily uh well, I mean I'm looking to increase capital over time but obviously i i could i don't have to distribute x amount to my lps i don't have hurdle rates but i so we can take this investment we've made and be like oh we can just keep the cash or more, more likely you get an exit and you're like, let's, a small exit, I'll say, and you're like, let's just redeploy this into. So you invest $100,000, you get 200 back. Now you can make two or four new investments instead of having to worry about de- returning that cash to the LPs. So I think that's the that's a big difference where a 2X exit for an angel is really nice because it gives you another shot. Right. If it's not going to be a 100X company, it's nice when you, it's okay if it's a 2X because that's another chance to find a 100X company. Right.
0: So for you, when you decided to start doing angel investing full time, did you start in New York or did you start geographically? Did you start industry based? How did you do that? Where did you find the first companies that you were like, these are the ones I'm going to give a little bit more attention to than I otherwise would?
1: So, I mean, it was not as calculated. I actually do it with my family. So it's, it was like we, I somehow got put in charge of it. It's like, I don't know how I got so lucky. <laughs> And so I got and then, so it was very much like Greg seems to know a lot of tech companies. Greg seems to know what's going on. Let's see what happens. And so it was more like where do I find companies? Okay. And it was I was in New York. I lived in New York. I knew people in New York. But I would say there was not like I wasn't like I have this very unique thesis. Of them. As I've done more of it, I think I've become a lot more sophisticated, my network grew. I started like I started slowly but surely building a network and then I think like, I saw a lot more interesting companies. I think at like, I, I'm, I'm still amazed at some of the companies I somehow managed to get connected to very early because I, I don't think I had the network, but I somehow through some luck that I made, I got to meet some great founders and then that kind of snowballed on top of itself. And then that built and that built and that built and now I feel like my network is still consistently getting better and I keep meeting more and more founders. I mean, I think predominantly investments, I'm, I looked the other day, of like the 30-something, it's like 15, I think, were, have been in New York, uh, 10, 12, I think around 10 or 11 are in LA, and then the remainder uh, are kind of spread out across, the, a few in, in emerging markets and a few in San Francisco, I don't. I mean, I've done investments here, but I don't think I have an edge here. I think there's a million. Like San Francisco is the one place I feel like in the United in the United States with really a robust angel network, culture, scene, whatever you want to call it. Like there are very few angels outside of San Francisco. So I think it, it, it's interesting for me to see where there's people talk about finding angel investors, and in like a place like New York, and I mean notation capital is like they, they'll they talk about this at length there's very few active kind of professional angels when in San Francisco there's millions of them and so I think it kind of changes the how and same with LA LA probably has I don't know if LA has more but like LA and New York do not have these angel networks that San Francisco has so as an angel investor you're actually it's a lot more working with funds I'd, I'd feel like in both L.A. and New York than it is with other angels. So, what,
0: what do you mean by that?
1: So, like, if I'm going to invest in a company, it's it's usually... There's usually... It's usually me, a fund, and me and some funds, or me, a couple angels, and some funds. Like, it's very rare that you see a $300,000, $500,000 round mm-hmm. done in New York with a handful of angels. Okay. So there's been, like... So there's funds, like, in, in New York, there's notation capital, there's in, in LA there's Wonder Ventures, I think Wonder Ventures, where they fully created and like I mean there's more there's Charles Hudson who's here, he's there, kinda of Charles Hudson's all over the The rise of the pre seed, I think there's a lot of a lot of those funds have been in New York. And I mean you do have them here, but a lot there's a lot more of that in New York and LA because there's not that robust angel network. And so it's it's interesting to see here that there is so many angels. I mean, to be honest, I have no edge here. So I don't do a ton of investing here. I have some investing friends here that like occasionally I'll I'll do deals with them. But like in New York and in LA, my networks are much better about like kind of doing the groundwork Mm -hmm. and and knowing more founders and meeting more founders and doing more like outward work. Here, the few times, the investments I have are mostly reactive to co-investors meeting founders. Like in the founders, doing the individual work, but like not doing any of the prospecting myself.
0: What's a misconception that you find that a lot of first-time founders have about angel investors that you, if you can talk to them and say, this isn't quite how it works, you'd want to tell them?
1: That's actually a really good question. I think there's a lot. I think there's this assumption that angels are easier to raise money from. And so I think some of them, yes. Like there's some people that will write you a check in a meeting. I mean some of those angels are the most sophisticated angels and some of those other angels are the least sophisticated angels. So I think like you might, you might be right, but like also I know like sometimes angel investors will make you do 15 different meetings to get a $25,000 check. So like, like I said, I think the big, like, people think of funds and funds are relatively similar. I think this idea that angels are all the same when angels angel is really a catch-all for so many different types of people. I think that's really important. I think the other thing that I think, one of the big things I get worried about is like the, a lot of the problems I've seen down the line. I was like, if they have domain ex- experience, but like, and like I was a new angel once too, but sometimes a lot of people that are not professional angels that might do it very rarely, like a friend of a friend, you're or a person you get connected to through your cousin who is like maybe occasionally invest or do it very rarely or maybe this is their first time but they're rich like in other financings like you often see those people or it can be the, the challenges where it's like for example by other financings you mean later rounds later rounds yeah. so for example like the concept of dilution is very com- is like it's <laughs> not a sort of intuitive thing to some people so if like I'm a new angel investor like you'll think like I put my $100,000 in and I'm getting 2% of the company. And they're like, I own 2% of Greg's company. I'm like, when it's IPOs, I'm going to own 2% of this billion dollar company. And the reality of the situation is you actually get diluted because cash is dilutive. So you go to another fundraising and great news. Sequoia is putting in 10 million dollars like our company is now worth uh, 50 million and you ha- but you have to sign off on the on the investment because it was a note. And this investor like, "Wait, I thought I owned 2% of your company. Why do I only own 1.5?" And people are, and they're like, "I can't like I can't sign. Now I'm getting deluded. And it's like, "You have to convince them. It's Like, "No, like this is good. Like the pie has gotten bigger." But because the pie is getting bigger and there's more money coming in, they're buying their ownership percentage, and you're getting diluted. And I think like stuff like that can become challenging because they're things you don't think of and you wouldn't know to like consider when there when there is a problem when when it, when you're dealing with another finances and then. Those I think can be some of the hardest people—the people that have the like, the least number of investments there, have seen the least amount of stuff. Because as soon as stuff starts going wrong, they're going to become your biggest headache. So it might be the easiest cash to get, but it could, but it also can be your biggest headache as the company progresses. So,
0: so is there is there a set of questions or is there a way that a founder can kind of like test for this? Yeah, I think there's some some.
1: I mean, I think. If you have the luxury of choice, and, and I think to sit here and say that a lot of people like can get money from anywhere and they, you have these – like I think a lot of – there's this like chutzpah to a certain extent where people think that like – not chutzpah, that's not right, but this idea that like, oh, like everyone can get these networks, everyone can meet. And like sometimes you just need money and you have to go. So like, if you have the luxury of choice, the more sophisticated the investors are, the more professional, the more connected to your domain, X, Y, and Z, the better. So I think that's the first thing to look for is like if you can choose, try and go with people that have had uh, more experience. They might not be as generous in terms of the valuation as you might expect your company to be worth. But it might be worth But it's worth It's Valuation, never focus 100% on valuation. I'm saying don't give $100,000 for into like a one million dollar, a one million cap note. Like at the same time, like that's another red flag. Like if the valuation is like absurdly low, it seems it's, it's prob it's probably a red flag. An unsophisticated investor. So if you're really a venture style, like because like an angel investment, as as we mentioned, there's no one thing. An angel investment could be into a restaurant. Like mm-hmm. you can be an angel investor in a restaurant where like like one million valuation would be very generous for hundred. Like so. If you're, I'm strictly talking about venture style companies, venture return profiles, like multiple round financing companies. If you're an angel, that also like the valuation too high can be unsophisticated, like too, and also too low can be unsophisticated. So like if they want to put a hundred thousand dollars in for ten percent of your company, and you in New York City or in LA, they're probably they're either trying to take advantage of you because you're either you're new or they're probably unsophisticated don't know anything better. So I think like looking at like being reasonable on valuation on both sides is actually pretty important. I think that's a that's a good tell. I think asking how many investments have you made uh, like how is this how many do you plan on making? What are your expectations on this investment? Asking have they ever done a venture style investment before knowing there will probably be multiple fundings and there probably will be dilution over time and and those are sort of some of the general questions that you can talk about and also like if you don't know the person very well i mean it's totally reasonable to ask for a reference
0: yeah okay that was my next question
1: i mean obviously like if it, like a good angel will often come re- refer like oh we're like met this great company like we love this guy like We've invested with him before like you should talk to him like so like sometimes the, the intro might already have been the reference but if you don't know this person and if if they and you have any questions or even if you don't have any questions it's often really smart just to talk to a founder or talk to i mean hopefully a founder if they're doing angel investments if they're first i mean you probably have to take sort of a leap of faith but you could talk to other people
0: great greg thanks so much awesome thank you